36, 18 through 35. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and yet your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Restoration. My name is Dawson Hunt. If I haven't met you, I'm the director of Next Gen Ministries here. It's my honor to uh, bring the word to you this morning. Um, as Dan mentioned, we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount. We've made our way to Matthew chapter 6, where we're looking at two sections. As you'll see, it's actually outlined in your Bible in two different sections. Um, but they have one kind of overarching theme. So this text is actually very good for my heart, and I think it has a lot of good things to say to us. So let me pray for us, and we'll get started. God, we thank you um, for your word. Thank you that we get to um, enter into the story that you have called us into, that you have been working in throughout all of time. And Father, we pray this morning that we would have open hearts um, to hear what you would have for us through this word, and Lord, that you would um, be over this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last weekend, um, we had a kind of a spontaneous date night. So Covenant, uh, the seminary does... Um, date nights like a couple times a semester, and we got like the last-minute call to be able to have one on Saturday night. And um, it was 3 p.m., and the date night was going to be at 5.30. So generally, I'm like, I'm still kind of new to St. Louis. I mean, I've been here for almost three years. I feel like I'm new for the food scene anyway. So there's a lot of places I haven't been to. So generally, if we have a date night, I will go to Yale, find a place we want to go to that's kind of close to the seminary, and be able to kind of scout out what we want to have. So this was 3 o'clock, so I was actually going to work until 4 this day, so I didn't have the time to do this. So all I have to say is we text the youth leaders, um, a lot of guys that are from St. Louis, and ask them 
what like was a good recommendation and they gave us like a list of 10 thank you guys for that and um so I w- we went down the list as we're driving there allison's like looking on yelp on what we should do like what was within our reach and by the time we dropped off the girls we still hadn't decided so we got back in the car we drove a little ways before we got back on the highway we pulled over and said oh like i don't know what we're gonna do so we started looking at these places really frantically like oh like we barely have any time together where we don't go we don't have the children with us we want to make the best of this time so for us like we found ourselves very much focused on the restaurant very much focused on the experience we're going to have and it, in a moment we both said like let's just go to olive garden <laughs> it's like a safe <laughs> choice <laughs> we love it and it's going to be okay like we're going we can have another date night but we're we're so focused and we had a, this priority of the food and the experience that like like the time that we are having was wasting away. And like, like the real focus for us that night should have been uninterrupted time without the children together. And we found ourselves prioritizing the food over each other. And we see something very similar in the passage today. We see that we're, we're often tempted to misplace the priorities in our life. And I, I made a kind of a silly illustration from a date night, but it can be either even bigger things that we're um, tempted to misplace in our lives. And we, we know that the things that should be priorities, we know that they are there often, but we get distracted away from those things. So our, this passage is a call for us to reorient our lives to the right priorities that the Bible is, is teaching us to um, have, something um, that should be at the center of our lives. So the big idea we're looking at today is because Jesus, um, because the Lord has promised to provide all we need, we must entrust our lives to God alone. Um, so what does it look like for us from this passage? So I said... Um, there's, there's two sections of this passage, so we're first going to look at verses 19 through 24. So this part of the, sec- the text is revealing the treasures of our hearts. That's what we're looking at first. So in the opening verses of, the, of 19 through 24, Jesus um, talks and explains about there's two places that we can lay up treasures in, earth, uh, treasures in our heart. We can either lay up treasures on earth or treasures in heaven. And right from the beginning, he's explaining how crazy it is for us to lay up treasures on earth. Because he, he says... Earth is the place that moth and rust will destroy and where thieves will break in and steal. So we can think of both moth and rust as agents of destruction. So they both destroy things. So moth would have destroyed like clothing, particularly fine clothing of the day. And then rust, all of us know that rust will corrode away metal. So these things are are things that destroy physical possessions. So... He's showing us how foolish it is to think that these material things that we cherish so much will last for a long time, that they should be at the center of our lives because they're just things that pass with time. So he's saying that we should not fix our eyes so strongly on the things that are passing so that the things of the Lord go to the back burner. Verse 20 is a direct contrast. He's saying instead of putting your treasures in on the earth, put them in heaven. He's saying... Don't allow your heart to be tethered to this world by the material possessions, by materialism, but dwell on the things of the Lord. And in verse 21, he goes on um, and explains, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And treasure in this sense can be understood as what is most important to a person. So what is at the center of your life? That is what it's called to, what a treasure is. Um, and heart, oftentimes we have a different understanding of heart. When I read this passage, I think of immediately, I go to like Valentine's Day, emotions, love for my wife, that kind of thing. But that's not what he's saying when he's talking about heart here. He's talking about the center of one's being, the center of your, you as a person. And um, so with this, we can see that 
the treasure that's in our heart definitely shows a lot about who we are as people. That this thing that's so important to us, our treasure, is at the center of our lives. So oftentimes, this thing, this treasure, will maybe not be, if you would say, what's your treasure in your life? You might not say, my car, my house, whatever it is. You probably would say, Jesus, God, my family, these good things. But what he's saying here is, what's at the center of your life, what motivates you in all of life, is probably the thing you're treasuring the most. So uh, we, we, ha- we have to ask, what is at the center of our lives? What is the thing that drives a lot of our decisions? Um, it, this would be the thing that we, that we dwell on, that we center around, that we, we focus on to, with the goal in mind to get there. And in verse 24, he goes on to explain that you can only serve one master. And in this time, Jesus would have been aware that some slaves or servants would have a thing called dual ownership. So this would have been a slave that works kind of for two people, think about like two employers, but in this case, there's no actual owner of this person or this slave at all. And this, in the passage, he's telling us that there's no dual ownership in life when it comes to loyalty. That you can either be loyal to money or you can be loyal to God. There's not a middle ground there. And if you think about the, the full sense of the word slave or the term slave, it, it means that we belong wholly to another person or another thing. And by this, if that one thing is owning us, is ruling us, all other owners are ruled out. And one commentator said when I was reading this week, um, either God is served with single-eyed devotion or he is not served at all. Attempts at divided loyalty betray not partial commitment to discipleship, but deep-seated commitment to idolatry. And I want you to know that this is not speaking against making money or having wealth in general. Um, as, as in many of Jesus' other commands, it would, be, it would be foolish to think that this text is telling us that wealth in itself is evil. I mean, the scripture commands us to work hard. It commands us to provide for our family. It commands us to um, take care of what we need to to be able to um, eat and live. Um, and it also actually tells us to enjoy the blessings the Lord has given us. You know, even from, like, you think about the creation story that the Lord created the world for us to enjoy it. But it is when sin enters the picture that these, that these good blessings the Lord has give us, given us become sinful. So he's saying here, don't allow these good things, these blessings that I've given you, become the main treasure of your life. He's saying don't allow the, the, the blessings to be the focus when the blesser should be the focus. Don't allow these, these treasures to be what drives your life. Enjoy the things the Lord has provided, but don't allow them to be what motivates all of your life. So um, last week at the particularization lunch, one of the questions, I'm going to give you a little bit of a significance of why this was asked, was um, what car did Dawson gra- drive in high school? And the answer was a Ford Mustang. Um, I've had several Mustangs over the time uh, of my life, uh, four or five, and I have a picture of my first one, I think, if you can pull that up for me here. Um, this Mustang was my, so I had two uh, in high school. My second one, is it not there? Oh, man. Okay, I should have double-checked. Okay, um, so I had a 98 Cobra Mustang in high school that I was, I was given as a junior. Um, and this car became so much of my focus, my attention, my life, really. So I had this car for like 12 years. Once I got into college, I spent tons of my time, energy, like I was on like half a dozen forums, um, 
that like I would like converse back and forth on what I should do to this car with the intent that I would one day make it to the front of a magazine. That was my goal, okay? So like <laughs> really silly in hindsight, but um, so this drove a lot of my life, which means my friends were car guys, like my conversations were usually about cars. Um, and over the course of 10 years, I really wish I could show you a picture. Maybe we'll send it out next week in the Friday email or something. But so I had like, it, it would have been so much better with a picture. But so I had a normal white 98 Cobra Mustang at first. And it turned into a car that was, I mean, everything was done to it. I mean, top to bottom, I had ripped it out. One of the like ro rolling jokes is the first time that Allison rode in my car was there was two like buckets that we sat on to drive around the drive around the block because it was always in pieces because I was always working on it. Yeah, and she still is here and stayed with me. I don't really know how, but the grace of God <laughs> that she did that. But um, So this, for me, this thing of, like, of material possessions, it grips my heart fast. So it is, I mean, for me, looking back on pictures of that car now, I ended up selling it, ended up just sitting in our driveway a lot, so I ended up selling it. So now I see pictures of it, and it's like, for me, a physical reminder of the temptation to idolatry for, in my life. Like, this car didn't get the way it did without tons. Oh, there it is. Okay, awesome. This is the first picture. This is what, this is actually the picture I got from eBay when I got it. So I found it on eBay, and that's the, that's the original listing picture. And then the second picture should be there, um, of what it ended up being like, like right before I sold it. Is it there? No? Is there not another one? Okay. There we go. Okay. So it looks drastically different, and this took tons of time, energy, money. Like, I look back, I'm like, what, like, what was I thinking? Like, I was so, I was, and it wasn't even, like, bad to me at the time. I was so, like, like, this is what I want. And I know that this car did not get this way without me putting so much energy into it. And in our passage today, Jesus is showing us that these material things, like this car, are fleeting. They're falling away. And in a hundred years, this car won't be a car. It'll probably be just scrap metal. And... The, the things in our lives should not be at the center of our lives so much that they, that they just grab us. So Dan was supposed to be out of town this weekend when, um, for this weekend when I got assigned this text. So this is before the Sermon on the Mount started. And, and he told me, here's the text. And I, I looked at him like, of course, it's this text. Of course. Like, this is the one that, like, I'm going to struggle with, like, on the forefront of my mind, like, always. So storing up earthly possessions has always been something that's been like really hard for me. And um, so I, I always have to ask when I'm getting anything new physically, like where is my heart in this? So like for us today, I think we should, we should ask physical things like what is at the center of your life today? Like what is, what are you most focused on in your daily life? Like, are, are you making more money just so you can get the next thing? I mean, for you, it's probably not a Mustang like I, like I pictured here. But it could be, I mean, your house, clothes you wear, technology, like the newest iPhone just came out. Maybe that's, like, what's consuming you. could be your next car. It could be even small things you buy at the, tar at the dollar section in Target. Anything that's a physical possession. Is there something that's tethering your heart here um, to the earth? And this passage is getting us to look at what's at the center of your life. And we know that, that through Jesus, we are able to have freedom in this. That through his work in our lives, we're able to now center upon what is right and good and just and what the Lord wills. And I know this, this won't resonate with all of us. You know, this is a big struggle of mine, but I know this is not everyone's struggle. So storing up treasures might not be um, your area of struggle. Um, but maybe you struggle with trusting that the Lord will provide for you 
in all you need. So remember that our big idea is that we must entrust God um, and trust our lives to God alone. So we're going to look at the next section now is verses 25 through 34 where it explains that we're to trust God's provision for us. And this text reveals the second point is um, the anxiety of our heart. So this section begins with for this reason, which is connecting it to the previous section. So in the previous section, Jesus is warning against being too focused on material things. And, and this section is actually doing the same thing. He's bringing to light the same principle that we shouldn't be so focused on material things, but from a different angle. So we see here that Jesus is explaining that the food and drink, food and clothing and drink, these are not the be-all, end-all of life. They are not the thing that should be keeping us up at night in worry. And in this text, it should be understood that this use of anxiety is not like a general term of anxiety. So this anxiety and worry is specifically linked to material things. So this is um, worrying about what you're to eat, drink, pay the bills, those sorts of things. It's material things. Um, it's, it's not speaking to clinical um, anxiety, but the things um, of physical nourishment. So this, this worry or anxiety is coming from a place of fear that we may not have enough um, to eat or clothing to wear. So this culture that Jesus is speaking to um, was a culture where shortage of food was a very, very normal thing. So us in the West don't understand this quite the same because we have a grocery store, Schnucks is open, some of them 24 hours a day, and they always have food. So there's a little bit of a gap for us to, to realize um, that they had, would have had a great shortage of food a lot of times to them. But even though we don't have a shortage of food like they do, there's in our hearts, we're still prone to worry about these same things. That This passage is saying that there's more than food, there's more than clothing, there's more than the things that we drink. Um, and, and so this is saying that this is both discouraging the wealthy from concentrating too much on, on, on the material things and your own success, and then not as wealthy from concentrating on worry. In verse 26 and verse 30 kind of highlight two things that are very similar. Um, they go on to explain in verse 26 that humans were worth so much more than birds in the air. That without toiling the fields, without working for their food, the Lord provides what they need. That they're able to live, to, to eat, to drink, whatever they need is provided from the Lord. And this is the same Lord that provides for us. The same Lord that we're called to have trust in. And, and we have to say, like, we're worth so much more in the Lord's eyes than birds are. Won't he also be able to take care of us? And verse 30 really says the same thing. And he's talking about um, just the, the small value of plants with grass and, and flowers a little bit earlier. And the Lord sees them, and he clothes them with all they need. Will he not also care for us? If he cares for birds and grass, will he not also care for us? And this is a call to show us that God is the sustainer of all creation. That he sustains not just you and me, not just the grass in the field, but everything in the whole universe. So this should open us up our eyes to the great power that the Lord has and that we should not be anxious or worried about him providing for us because the great power that he has. This is not, it's not difficult for him to provide what we need. We should, have, we should have confidence that as his image bearers, the ones that are called to reflect his glory into the world, that he will care for us. He knows our needs and he cares for us more than the birds in the air or the grass in the field. In verse 27, he goes on to say, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And he's saying that even if your worry, even if your anxiety, if you give it 
full reign, let it go, and just, just be worried all the time, he's saying, what power does it have? Does it have any power to clothe you? Does it have any power to bring clothes on your back? Does it have any power to feed you? It has no power, is what we should think. It has no power at all. The worry is futile. And, and looking down to verse 31, we see this is, he's explaining the logical consequence of everything he said before. Since we know the Lord cares for the birds in the air and the grass in the field, we should know that the Lord provides for us. He's now commanding us not to worry about what we'll eat or what we'll drink or what we'll wear. So we should know that, I mean, you can kind of take this just like the other text too far and we say this is not an excuse to be careless with our lives, but we should work hard. We should um, do the things we need to to provide. We should not be careless and expect the Lord still to provide. Um, and we're called to, to work, to eat, to drink, to be clothed. And what he's expressing here is that our work should not be done in worry, but our work should be done in faith that the Lord will provide all that we need. We should work diligently knowing that the Lord knows our needs and loves us and will care for us. So verse 32, he speaks of the Gentiles. So in this text, we have to understand that th this phrase Gentiles, he's talking to non-believers. So if he's talking, thinking about the Gentile use, like in the epistles with Paul, is a different frame. But what he's saying here is when we think of in Gentiles, he mentions in Gentiles, that means people outside of the people of God. So in this verse, he's, he's showing us that people away from God will naturally worry about these things. They're going to naturally worry because they know they're the only ones that are going to care for themselves. They're the only ones. They have no other confidence besides what they can provide for themselves and their family. So from someone away from the faith, they believe that they have to work because there's not another power that will do it for them. Um, but we know as believers that our Heavenly Father sees our need. So in our hard work, we know that He sees our need as His children, and He will provide for us. He, we know that our relationship that we have with Him is initiated by Him, that He has brought us to Himself, that it, it is through Jesus that we have this means of relationship with Him. And so we think about He sees our needs, our physical needs. He sees what we need to eat. He sees what we need to drink. And he provides those things. But ultimately, God saw our dire need in sin, and he fulfilled it in Jesus. So therefore, we're, we're not to, I, I want to frame this for you, that we're not to worry about physical possessions, that we're not to eat, drink, because think of the big problem that God saw in our lives was sin, and he came up with a solution for that. That should be like the, our, our ground that we can always stand on. That we're not to worry about personal needs, but we should be concerned about things of the kingdom. And, and verse 33, it's pointing us back to where our hearts should be focused, what our hearts should be centered upon, which is the work of the kingdom. And, and, and Jesus concludes with verse uh, 34, and he says, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So what he's saying here is there's no need to worry even about tomorrow, much less the days ahead. So this is, this is a forceful way of saying that we should not, so worry should always be deferred. Tomorrow's worry is only in the sense that tomorrow never comes because it's always today. So he's saying, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have its own worries. But today, you, there's enough trouble here. So it, it's important to see that he's not saying there will be no trouble. He's saying there probably will be trouble in the days ahead. But he's saying that a believer needs to point back to God, the one who will provide for him. 
And this, this point of the passage is bringing us back to the one who can and will provide for us and care for us in all we need. And he's bringing us back to have firm faith that the Lord who cares for us will always provide for us. Um, kind of taking you back to high school for me again. So my parents um, got divorced right before I got into high school. And one of their, uh, I see this in hindsight, I didn't know at the time, one of the ways that they helped us cope with it was they kind of threw a lot of money at us so we could kind of buy a lot of things. And one thing I became very, very um, wrapped up in was, was clothing. So I, w- I would like get new clothes all the time. And so I had a journal um, that was supposed to be like keeping track of my homework and these sorts of things. It, it quickly became the journal that I tracked what I wore that day. So this was the intention that I would write down what I wore and I wouldn't wear the same outfit for a whole month. That was my goal because I wanted to be this, this guy that like, I don't know, I don't even know what I was thinking, but like, I, you know, I was worried about what people were thinking about me. And I was like so consumed with it. And oftentimes it was like this worry of like, did I wear this shirt? I didn't, Tuesday, I didn't write down what I wore. Like, I don't know, like, I think I did wear it last week, but I can't remember. I have so many clothes that I can't remember at all. And like, like, so there have been like that time in my life where I've had like surplus, but I still have had anxiety. I've still had worry about like my clothing, physical clothing. There's been other times in our lives where we have, like Alice and I have between jobs or, you know, we're both, we got married when we were in school. Um, we're still in school. We've been in school the whole time we've been married, actually. So it's always kind of been like this thing, like um, figuring out uh, how to pay the bills and things. But we have had actual times of we were worried about paying the rent. We were worried about buying enough groceries. We were worried about um, just making sure that we could get through. So I think that, like, in this text, there's really, like, two categories for application in this portion of the text. Um, the first one is you, you may have legitimate worry about whether you can pay the rent, whether you can keep the lights on, whether you can buy the backpack your child needs for school this next year. Um, I think it's important to, to mention that this worry in itself is not sinful. Like that, those are good and legitimate concerns that you want to take care of yourself and your family. Um, but th- this passage is calling us to take our worry and our anxiety to the Lord. This text is leading us to remember and believe that the Lord will care for us and so you may ask yourself, do you believe that God cares for you more than the birds in the air? Does, do you believe that he cares for you more than the grass in the field? So you're called to put your worry upon the Lord, knowing that he will provide for all you need. And the second category is, is more really like what I was talking about with my Abercrombie clothes. So at the time, I wasn't worried that I would have a, clo- like a, a shirt to wear, but it was the right shirt. That was what I was worried about. And our culture is really all about self-indulgence. That's like, and like, that's what I'm saying back to my car. Like, it wasn't even like thought of that I was, it was bad that I was doing that with my car with all my friends because everyone else around me was doing it. And it's seen as normal to desire the nicest clothes. It's seen as normal to crave the best food, have the biggest house. That is normal in our culture. So this, this self-indulgent mindset can creep into our lives very easily. So maybe you're not scraping by. Maybe you're okay to, to pay your mortgage and, and pay the grocery bill, um, but maybe there still is anxiety and worry in your life about money and this concern. Because maybe you have set a very high standard of life that you, consi- you constantly worry about maintaining. So many of us will live a life that requires us to make a lot of money to maintain. So we, so we worry and have anxiety about maintaining this lifestyle. Um, so if this feels like more 
where you are with money. I would encourage you to look at your life and evaluate a few things, like the surplus. If it, often if you're having um, anxiety or worry about these things, and you know that you're not just scraping by, but are you worrying about these things, and are those things surplus? Are they things that you don't really need? Um, are, are, you, are you worried about just maintaining this, this, this high lifestyle that you've lived in? Um, Alice and I were both working right before we came here full time. I was actually like, this is like when Emma was really young. So I was doing wedding photography and working at Verizon full time and she was working as a nurse. And we had found that we had made a lot of choices to add a lot of things to our life that we didn't really need. We found that out here when we started making like no money when I came to seminary and had like no job at the beginning. And we had to cut back a lot of things. And I think this for me, I, when I was thinking about this, I realized like, there was a lot of my life that I really felt like I needed when I was in New Mexico that six months later when I was kind of pulling away at, I really didn't need those things. So that was, that's, I mean, for you, a, a, a tangible thing. It was, it's been really good for me um, to, to think about that. And this text asks us the question in the middle of it, uh, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So Jesus is trying to, to reorient our lives back to what is really important that there's so much more than these things in life, that the food, the clothing, the, the lifestyle that we strive to have, that we're called to seek after the things of the kingdom. And we're called to be focused on the work of the kingdom in all areas of our lives. And, and as I mentioned before, the best example of God meeting our needs is in the life of Jesus. In our deepest need, God met us there. And Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. We've all fallen short we all had a need but god met us there he continues on in verse 24 and says you are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in jesus christ through jesus our greatest need have been met we have been freed from sin and death we've been freed from the sin that enslaves us in all areas of life so by jesus blood our greatest need has been met should we not have more confidence every day because of that while we can be quick to forget the Lord's concern for our lives, we must always look back to the cross of Calvary to see where the Lord ultimately met us there in our need. Let's pray. God, we thank you um, just in this picture that we have needs, we have physical needs, we have spiritual needs, and Lord, you are the one that can and will provide. And Father, we pray um, as we go out of this place that we would um, remember this word, that we would go and be able to live lives that are glorifying to you in all areas. And Father, I pray um, just for the worry, the, the, the anxiety that plagues us oftentimes when it comes to material things, that you would allow us to um, look at that, seek you in it, and put our worry upon you if it's that. Or Father, that we would see that this worry is not something that we should be doing. Um, and Father, that you would convict us of that. Father, thank you for um, this word. Thank you for... Um, your constant attention and focus upon our lives, that you would stay um, faithful even when we were not faithful. And Father, thank you um, for this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we continue our worship, let's respond uh, with a confession of faith. As restoration, as we even think about our